But through this series, we're learning to do our best to speak, apply, live, and tell the truth. Speak, apply, live, and tell the truth. And as we've talked about every Sunday, truth is a very powerful thing. Very powerful thing. It can build people up. It can tear people down. And because of that, we need to be careful how we handle it. We need to handle it with both wisdom and humility, or wisdom and innocence in its application. And Jesus illustrated that as being wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And when we do that, when we listen to what Jesus says and we apply that to our lives, we're able to better reach our potential, not just as followers of Jesus, but fruitful and effective followers of Jesus, which is what we really want to do. Now, anyone can apply truth. Okay, anyone can know something that's true, we can apply that, but to apply it with both wisdom and humility takes some learning, it takes some growth, and that's what we're working on. It requires speaking the truth in self-sacrificial love, one of the things that we're learning to do. Now, on the other side of that coin, lies are also powerful. They're also powerful, but unlike truth, they, they don't ever build up, they don't ever edify, they're always destructive. They're always destructive. Lies are are never good. But how we handle truth matters. It's important to understand that. We don't use it simply to be right. We don't use it simply to win an argument or convince someone of a point of view. But we wield truth in such as a way to be helpful, to build others up. And we do that with wisdom and we act harmless when we do so. Whether we're talking about speaking, applying, living, or telling the truth. All of these things are very closely intertwined. They overlap each other where we're speaking the truth or telling the truth, applying the truth, living the truth. They're all very, very closely related to each other. And today we're talking about living truth, living the truth. And as we speak about these different ways of handling truth, you may wonder, well, what are the differences between them? When we talked about speaking and applying truth, the majority of what we talked about was how we interact with other people our interactions with other people that we have day to day, and how we you know, apply truth and speak truth in those situations. And today, we're making a little bit of a shift. We're going to focus inward a little bit and reflect to something, shift to something more personal, and that is living the truth, how we live the truth personally and how that affects us and how that affects those around us. Because it does. Now, have you ever seen those memes floating around? I think we might have one to put on the screen um, that are, uh, for a million dollars, would you live here for one year without TV and internet? Now, I think most of us would probably jump on that, but unfortunately, I don't think anybody's actually offering. Um, I'd be, be on top of that if it were. But, you know, would you, would you live here in a cabin in the woods or maybe a house on a tropical island? And it says, would you live here rent-free? for a month, but you have to give up Facebook or internet. Now, just for fun, let's take a moment and pretend that this is a real thing. Somebody's actually offering this to us. Let's pretend we have unlimited resources. We can go wherever we want, we can live wherever we want, we can have whatever kind of house we want, and we don't have to give up anything. Don't have to give up anything. Anything you want, no limits or reservation, paint that picture in your mind. What would that look like for you? If you could have anything you want, do anything you want, be anywhere you want, unlimited resources, 
what would that look like for you? Well, for me, it would probably be a nice quiet beach with a nice left-handed point break and a nice quiet bay for an easy kayak launch for fishing. And then Christine can do whatever she wants with the house because I don't care about that. But that's what it would look like for me. But what would it look like for you? And it sounds pretty good when we hear that. Wow, I can have anything I want, do anything I want. Or so we think. Just, just about anyone would say, yes, I want that. I want to do that. And let's, let's add another dimension to it. Let's go even further. Not only do you have anything and everything you want, you also have zero accountability. Zero accountability. That means no laws, no rules, no one's watching you. Do whatever you want without consequence. No consequences. What would you do? What would your life look like if you were completely able to do and be and have anything you wanted? How would it be different than it is to what it is right now? You have everything you want. No one knows what you do or cares what you do. Think about that. That's pretty pretty interesting to think about. How would you choose to live if you had that opportunity? You know, and we often say, people often say, as sometimes I say, you know, I don't, I don't care what other people think. But chances are, that's probably a lie. That's not the truth. If we say, I don't care what other people think, because most of us care, the great majority of us care what other people think. We often act differently depending on, you know, who's present or who's not present or who or does or does not see what we're doing. And think about it. You act differently when you have guests in your home. You know, we all try to put on maybe a little different set of manners when we have guests on our home because we care what other people think. You remember back to when you were a kid or maybe you are a kid. Um, and did your parents act differently when you had friends in the house? Or if you're a parent, do you act differently when your kids have friends in the house? Whether we want to admit it or not, we, we care about what other people think. So what would we do if that care were removed from our life? In whatever place you, you may have chosen to live in that picture in your mind, you don't have to worry about it because you know, no one's going to know. What would you do? How would you live? What choices would you make? You can have whatever you want, do whatever you want, no consequences, no reservations. But it's interesting how being around other people affects what we do, at least while they're watching, at least while they're watching. You know, I've worked with some accountability groups and things in the past, men's groups specifically, both Christian and secular, and those groups don't work very well because what happens is often the people involved, they tend to get better at lying and they tend to get better at hiding things they don't want other people to find out about. And the fact is, is we've all got some issues, we've all got some things that we really would rather not other people find out about. We keep those things to ourselves. And, you know, I know personally, I'm glad people can't tell what I'm thinking. I'm glad people can't read my thoughts. So, obviously, we care about what other people think. But even though we do, in a certain sense, it really doesn't matter that much what other people think. It does matter, but not that much. The things we don't want other people to know, we generally learn to hide them well. And we become somewhat, I guess, maybe a little bit fluid, depending on who we're around. We act differently around different people, and, and that's not always a bad thing. You know, there's always exceptions and things like that. But So ultimately, though, what I'm getting at is that if we truly want to change something, no one else can do that for us. We have to do that ourselves. We first have to want to change, 
whatever that may be. And then we have to take responsibility for that change. We have to decide to make it. But even if we think we have nothing to hide, we can surprise ourselves sometimes with the things we do and say. You know, I, I try to live as transparent as possible, but the reality is, is there's probably still things about me I don't want other people to know. Verse John 1.8 says this. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Now, as we've been talking about how lies and deception are destructive, it's good to understand, and we learn from this verse, that we can even deceive ourselves. We can even lie to ourselves and, and believe our own lies. And if we genuinely pursue truth as frankly, as honestly as we possibly can, we eventually will find ourselves face to face with the truth that the only one who truly understands who we are, the only one who truly knows everything about us is Jesus. It's going to lead us back to Him. He knows us better than we know us. And when we think about speaking and applying and, and now living the truth, we need more than just knowledge of the truth. We need wisdom. We need more than just knowledge. We need wisdom. We need humility. We need self-sacrificial love. And wisdom is the right application of knowledge because, you know, there's... there's a lot of people with a lot of knowledge, but they don't necessarily apply it well. Someone can have a lot of knowledge and not necessarily be wise. But being a fruitful and productive follower of Jesus requires wisdom, innocence, and self-sacrificial love. And the Holy Spirit can and will help you. But first, you need to take responsibility for putting yourself on that path. Let's talk about living the truth ourselves and what that means. Do I actually live God's truth? Or am I caught up in my own comfortable narrative? We need to challenge ourselves with this sometimes. What are the things that are coming from my heart? What are the things that are coming from my mouth? What are the things I think about when no one else knows, when no one else watches? What kind of things do I feed my ears? What kind of things do I feed my eyes that then feed my mind when I know no one else is watching or hearing or knowing what I'm doing or even if they are. Because those things that we put into our mind, they shape our heart and they're shaping who we are becoming tomorrow. The things that we, we read, we listen to, we look at today are shaping who we're going to be tomorrow. Am I living in my own little echo chamber of confirmation bias? When is the last time you actually Remember having your own comfortable narrative challenged and you had to kind of step out and you learned something new and you sought truth and you had to change because something was true that didn't agree with your narrative. Like Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that we spoke about last week. He actually stepped outside of his comfortable narrative. He went to Jesus. He was nervous about it. He went at night because he didn't want to, you know, deal with the other Pharisees and him, what they would say about him talking to Jesus. But if I were given the opportunity to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, with truly no concern to worry about what other people think or knowing what I do, what would your life look like? Because that's who you really are. That's who you really are. Would I choose to live my life for God or would I choose something else? Good question to ask ourselves. And don't forget we have the ability to even deceive ourselves. It's easy to worry about what other people think. I know I do. I worry about, you know, we worry about what we want rather than being genuinely concerned 
with how God wants us to live, with what God wants us to do. It's easy to be concerned with being right instead of seeking what's true. And I often quote John 14, 6, um, favorite verse, I quote it often. Uh, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I quoted that at Ian Hawkins' memorial service this past week. And I often use that as a text at funerals. But Jesus is the way to God. It's through him that we have access to the Father. It's also through him that we have life. And we usually concentrate on the way and the life in that verse in John 14, 6. You know, that's, that's the gospel message. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the life. But that verse also, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And in that passage, Jesus is explaining to his disciples what's going on there is he's explaining to his disciples. He says, I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and get you so we can be together in that place. John chapter 14. And he also says to the disciples, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And when he says that, it confuses them. They get a little confused. And John 14, verse 5, Thomas says to Jesus, he said, Jesus, you know, you just said that we know where you're going and we know how to get there, but I don't really know where you're going and I don't really know how to get there. What do you mean by that? And you've heard of doubting Thomas, same Thomas. Um, and he got the nickname Doubting Thomas because when the other disciples told him they had seen Jesus resurrected, uh, he questioned what they were saying. He said, you know, unless I see the scars for myself and I can touch those scars, I'm not ready to believe you guys just yet. And me personally, I don't, I don't think what Thomas said was necessarily a lack of faith. I think Thomas is just more of a, a realist. He's a realist. He doesn't doubt Jesus. He just wants to see for himself. And it's almost like he's saying to the other disciples, I trust Jesus. I'm just not sure about what you guys are saying just yet. And he just wants to verify what's going on. It's kind of like going on a road trip in my car. I pray for a safe journey. I pray for safety. But putting on my seatbelt doesn't mean I don't trust Jesus. Putting on my seatbelt doesn't mean I lack faith. And I can kind of relate to the way Thomas thinks. I have people tell me and send me things all the time, and I'm kind of like, well, we should probably maybe spend a little time fact-checking that. Not that I don't believe or trust people. Fact-checking is just something that I need to do as a responsible person. And when Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare a place, and you know where I'm going, you know how to get there, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going or how to get there. And notice he did say we. So obviously the other disciples had the same question. They had the same question. They just they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about either. Now something to make note of about Thomas's statement is that he frames the route and the way as two separate things. And what Thomas is looking for when he says this to Jesus is he's looking for a map that shows him the directions, the route with the destination and the journey on it. That's what Thomas is thinking. That's what he's looking for. He hears Jesus say, there are many rooms in my father's house. And he thinks, that sounds great. How do I get there? As the disciples, and we often do, Thomas is thinking physical, temporal things, material things. But Jesus, as he often does, is, is, is talking about something much more than that, something bigger than that, something beyond that. 
Jesus is talking about how people relate to God and how that defines our daily journey and eternal destiny. And the disciples didn't know the same things we do, at least not yet. You know, we're looking back, they were looking forward. But as you understand what Jesus says, when he says, I am the way, he isn't referring to a physical map. He isn't referring to a physical path on the map, but a person that we know, a person who we know and who we walk with. Jesus is saying, I'm the path, I'm the map, I'm the way, I know how to get to my father's house. It's me. That's how you get there. And once you know him, your place in the father's house is safe and secure, so much so that it's like you're already there. But there's also the journey that we're on in following Jesus until we arrive there. And when you start to dig in and you look and you see things about this journey we're on, you see it throughout the Bible. The language used is, is common throughout God's word. Paul talks about it a lot in the New Testament. We also see it in the New Testament. Now, when Jewish rabbis taught the Old Testament law, they didn't teach it so much as, like, like in the same way we think of it, like a set of rules, a list of rules. They often used a Hebrew word when they taught about law that means walk, walk. And when they taught the commands of God, they, they were not taught as a list, but as a walk as a way of life. This is how we live. This is how we walk. And our Western individualistic culture kind of sees the Old Testament law as a, a list of rules, almost like boxes to be ticked off or something like that. But the Old Testament law wasn't taught that way by rabbis. It was taught as a walk. It's a way of life. And Paul, you know, being a former Pharisee, a Jewish man, well-educated in traditions and laws and in religion and culture of his people explains things this way often when he's writing to, when he's teaching Gentile people. In the New Testament, when Paul is talking about how to live as a Christian, he often uses the term walk. Walk not according to the flesh in the book of Romans. Walking in love. Um, walk by the Spirit. He said some walk as enemies. A walk in a manner worthy of God in the book of Thessalonians. Um, John uses the same terminology when he talks about walking in the light. And these passages tell us how to live truth, to be fruitful followers of Jesus. We don't follow a list of rules, but we walk with Jesus. It's a daily walk. And that's more than just knowing truth or talking about it or reading it or living it. It's, it's walking in truth personified. It's living life daily with Jesus. And if you take all of that, and you look at the larger narrative of the life of Jesus in Old Testament prophecy and New Testament writing, you begin to see that living the truth is, is not reducing what Jesus says to a list of things to do, but living in him every day, walking with him every day, living life walking with Jesus. And if we do that, then all of the other things are going to fall into place. If we follow Jesus, if we walk with him, everything else is going to, going to fall into place and work itself out. But if we live life, living, you know, adhering to a set of rules so we can make it into God's house when we get there, we're on the wrong path. We're on the wrong path. That's not the way. We won't get there that way. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except by how? Through me. Jesus said, I'm the truth. I'm the map. I'm the way. I'm how you get there. Live in me. And if we live by a set of rules rather than walking with Jesus, we're making the same mistake that Thomas almost made. We're looking for a physical, 
temporal path paved by religious behavior. But from this passage, we know that Jesus is living truth. We live in him, and he lives in us. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And Jesus made another very profound statement in John chapter 8, verse 32. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, that's, that's a well-known saying. Most of us have probably heard that at some point, even if we don't recognize that it's from the Bible. But that's usually kind of equated the idea that knowledge is going to set you free, or academic knowledge or is, is going to set you free. And that may be true at times, but it's not something that's true all of the time. Knowledge, you know, is, is a good thing. We don't want to sell it short. But don't oversell it. Either way, this verse isn't talking about that kind of academic knowledge that we might apply that to. It's good, it's useful, but it doesn't necessarily correlate with freedom one way or the other. So what is Jesus talking about when he says, the truth will set you free? Back in the beginning of chapter 8, Jesus was debating the Pharisees. He's, he's having a debate with them about the truthfulness of his witness, whether or not what Jesus says is true. And in that, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will walk in the light and not in darkness. And the Pharisees said to Jesus, you can't be your own witness. Okay? You can't bear witness to yourself. That's not credible. Just like in a court of law, they're not going to let you be your own witness and consider it credible. But why would they even care what Jesus says? Why wouldn't they just write him off as, as, as strange or something like that? That's because this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees happens during the festival of tabernacles. Israelites got to celebrate a lot, of, a lot of festivals, a lot of holidays. You know, there was always dancing, music, lots of fun things. But part of the celebration of the Festival of Tabernacles was that people lit lamps to remind them of the pillar of fire that, that guided them while they were in the wilderness, while they were wandering in the wilderness. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, that's what everyone's thinking about, that pillar of fire in the wilderness. And Jesus is saying, I am that light the same as the pillar of fire in the wilderness. He's making a claim of being God. And the Pharisees say, you can't say that. Okay? You can't be your own witness. That's not credible. And then in John chapter 8, verses 14 through 19, this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered them, Though I bear witness of myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I'm not alone, but I'm with the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father that sent me bears witness of me. Then they said to him, where's your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you'd know my father also. And what Jesus says here, did you, did you notice that he says almost exactly the opposite to these Pharisees as what he said to his disciples in chapter 14, where he says, you don't know where I came from, and you don't know where I'm going. Now let's tie that together with the verses we read in John 8, 31 and 32 that say, Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you remain in my word, then you are truly my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, like I said, we have a tendency to think of academic knowledge. 
with what Jesus says here when we think about truth from a sort of Christian perspective and think Jesus is talking about knowing doctrine and knowing law and that's how the Pharisees think. And those things are true. We're not saying they're not true, but those things don't set you free. Okay, they don't set you free. They place you in bondage. And if that's the truth that we choose to walk in, we're a slave to that truth. Truth for followers of Jesus is, is more than that. Okay, it's, it's more than a temporal moral code and law. It's more than knowing facts. So what does it mean to live truth? Living truth means being set, by, set free by Jesus from the bondage of a self-managed religious narrative to walk daily with him. It means our behavior isn't what makes us right with God. It's Jesus who makes us right with God, and he is truth personified, and that's who we walk in. And again, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but Jesus is the living truth, and he's who we walk with. And the Bible tells us to walk in truth, believe truth, to speak truth in love. And living truth is more than just knowledge about the Bible. Okay, It's living, it's walking with Jesus. Now here's something we don't often think about. We have so much access to the Bible that we, we kind of take it for granted. I mean, it's on our smartphone, we can you know, access it pretty much anytime, any day we want to, wherever we want to. I've probably got a dozen Bibles in my office. I've got an iPad. I can look at it on my laptop. It's everywhere. It's so accessible, which is great, which is great. But there have been many centuries throughout Christian history that Christians didn't have the Bible. Sometimes I think we forget that. And even if they did have it, most of them probably wouldn't have been able to read it. And it's only in recent times relatively recent times, that, that scriptures become widely ready, widely and readily available. And something to think about. You know, they may not have had the Bible like we do, but Christianity, you know, it never stopped. It never faltered. Why do you think that is? They didn't have everything we do, but they did have Jesus. They had Jesus. They had the living truth. And we still have him today. That's never changed. That's always been the point is living in Jesus. Jesus is truth personified. He is the truth. He is the living word. And he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and the truth will set you free. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, if you know me, you know truth. And he said the opposite to the Pharisees. He says, you guys don't know me, you don't know the way, you don't know how to get there. And God created us to live in harmony with truth. And the person of truth will set you free. We may think of freedom as, as freedom from the penalty of sin once this life is over, which is also true. But if you know Jesus, he set you free today. And we can live in that freedom today. We're free right now if we live in Jesus. Knowing Jesus is, is a transforming freedom today. And if we allow ourselves to understand that and to live that, we will live in that freedom in Jesus. Jesus, who is the truth, sets us free from bondage to sin, sets us free from bondage to law. He sets us free from the concern of, of the judgment of others if we live in him. And 
Unfortunately, I think we often miss this because we've talked about it before. We kind of want to take control of things. We want to control our own narrative. We want to set our rules up, and we do this and we do that, and that makes us right with God. But it's really all about Jesus. It's really all about Jesus. And we fall into that old way of living, and we become a slave to law. We become a slave to moralism. And again, we're not saying those things, you know, morals are important, but they don't set us free. Jesus sets us free. Jesus makes us right with God. And sometimes we live in financial fear or fear of being judged by others or we experience fear when something challenges us, when it challenges our narrative. And again, that's not to say that finances and morality and all of those other things are unimportant. All of those things are important, but they're not most important. If we think our standing with God is reliant on those things, how well we do with our religious activities or behavior, we're walking the wrong path. We're not living in Jesus. We're not walking with the one who says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Living truth is living in the freedom and that knowing that Jesus has set us free, knowing that we're no longer slaves. When Jesus was on the cross, just before he died, he said, it is finished. And he meant it. It is finished. He fulfilled the Old Testament law. He had taken our place, been our propitiation on the cross. And if you know Jesus, you've been set free from slavery to walk in the living truth with Jesus every day. Now the question is, are you doing that? And if not, are you going to do that? Are you going to place your trust in Him? Are you going to step outside of your comfortable narrative and say, I'm going to place all my trust in Jesus, not in my own self? The one who's the way, the truth, and the life. Do you know Him? If you don't, you can't. See, God sent His Son to us as a gift to die on the cross to shed His blood for us. And when we look to Him in faith and when we put our trust in Him, He sets us free from the bondage to law that everyone is under. God has a standard and no one can reach that standard. But Jesus did that for us. And when we put our faith and our trust in Him, He sets us right with God. Do you know Him? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in prayer, thankful for your love, your mercy, your grace. We're thankful that you've brought us together this morning, whether we're here in person or online. I lift all of these people up to you now, and I pray that we would live truth. We would live in Jesus. We would seek him. We would follow him. We would trust him. We would understand that it's living in him. That's the way. That's the truth. That's the life. Father, I just pray that as we go through our week this week, that we would live in Jesus, live in truth, the living word, that we would seek him, follow him each and every day, and it would glorify you. And we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful that you've given us the opportunity to be made right through 
Jesus, not through ourselves, but through him. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.